0: Thank you. Thank you very much. It's, uh, it's honestly, it's a privilege to be here with you this morning, and I appreciate the invitation to be here. And it's been, it's been a long time coming, because I could have never foreseen that I would be in a church, on a platform preaching, and uh, I'll tell you what, when I was 14 years old, as a kid living in Richburg, New York, my dad was the preacher of First Day Baptist Church, and at 14 years old, I just sensed the calling of God on my life, that I want you to be a preacher, and I didn't hear the voice out of heaven saying, thou shalt be a preacher, or anything weird like that, I just, I just had a sense that that's what I'm supposed to do, and I said, no way, <laughs> said, I see what a country preacher is supposed to do, stand up in a suit and a tie and put on the plastic smile and be, you know, holy and perfect and never have any fun and I want to ride my dirt bike. And for some reason, that's all I wanted to do was I had a dirt bike. I bought a dirt bike when I was 12 years old. And that's all I wanted to do was ride my dirt bike. And so at 14 years old, I said, ain't no way I'm going to be a preacher. And I fought that or I fought that calling for over 20 years in my life. And during those 20 years in my life, I fought everything else that God did too. you know, creator of the universe before I formed you in the womb. I knew you. It's like, what does he know? (laughs) I want to ride my dirt bike. I want to do what I want to do. And that includes drinking a lot of beer and chasing a lot of pretty girls. And so uh, in my 20s, I had this cycle of going that uh, I would do what I wanted to do, I would feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit on my life, and then I would go back to church and I would do all the good church things, three times on Sunday, once on Wednesday, go with Monday night Bible study, maybe Thursday night visitation, and do all these good deeds through the church. And I would be unfulfilled, and I would be bored, and so I I would go back to doing what I like to do, drink beer, and party, and chase girls, and do what I want to do, until finally in my early 30s, about eight years ago, eight or nine years ago, I finally just hit the wall. I had been living my life my way, doing what I want to do, had gotten my girlfriend pregnant, this little baby was born, most precious thing I'd ever seen, greatest day of my life, turned into the worst day of my life, because... My child's mother and I, we just couldn't get along. And so the pain of that failed relationship and along with everything else that was going on in my life, I was an alcoholic, I had a failed business, I was bankrupt, I was going broke, everything everything I touched turned into rust, not gold. And, and through the pain of that, I finally I finally hit my knees and I said, all right, God, you win. Whatever it is you want in my life, I'll do it. If you want me to preach, I'll preach. I had no idea that that's what God had in mind all along. And a few years ago, I felt the calling of God on my life again. As I've been a minister with Team Faith, as I've been a pit pastor with Team Faith for almost six years now, I felt the hand of God saying, use what you do there to leverage it with my people in the church, to encourage and inspire uh, the faithful in the church. And so it's been a long time coming, but I am thankful to be here today, standing on a platform, inside of a church, Behind a pulpit, although you can't see it because of the grass, this is my pulpit. <laughs> you might not have any idea what that is. That is actually a tire changing stand. As a uh, as a dirt bike racer and as a professional mechanic on the series, that's part of what I do with Team Faith. Not only do I do the GNCC series that you saw, but I'm also a professional mechanic on the Arena Cross Indoor Racing series. I change a lot of tires. <laughs> And I remember as a 14-year-old, 15, 16 years old living in Richburg, when I needed to change a tire, I wrestled the the, the wheel off the bike, I put it on the ground, and I started stabbing it with screwdrivers until it either came off or I popped the tube. And 60% of the time, the tire would win. But nowadays, with the right tools, the right equipment, the right technique, man, those tires just jump on and off. And that's part of what I get to do. But another part... It's getting to share Jesus Christ with uh, with other racers and being relevant to the culture that I live in, which is the dirt bike racing world. And you see my setup outside and, and the music playing. And we always have chapel. On Sunday mornings at the racetrack, this time of day, we're underneath those tents over there. And uh, a group of people, a little bit smaller than this, will gather underneath that tent and we'll have church. And that's part of what I do is take the church to the racetrack. And it's my privilege to bring the church to you today and to share what God's put on my heart. With Team Faith, part of what we do, not only do we take the church to the racetrack, but we also try to uh, use dirt bikes to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people through freestyle motocross. You saw a little bit of freestyle in that video there. I don't hit the jumps, but I'll work on the bikes for the guys that do hit the jumps. And uh, last year, we were doing a freestyle show up in Ludington, Michigan. And we invited uh, two of our riders to come and, and do this freestyle show for us. One of them was Kevin Johnson. Uh, Kevin Johnson has been a professional rider for us for a long time. Uh, he, he twice got the number three plate in the Arena Cross Series. Super fast racer. But not only is he a fast racer, he's also a very, very talented freestyle rider. And he can hit the ramps, he can do the backflip, he can do all kinds of tricks. In 2008, we went to X-Game with Kevin Johnson. He was invited to come and do the speed and style event, the inaugural event, and he took gold in that contest. And if you're in, um, in the high school, Sunday school class, you'll probably hear more about that. So I'm sure that now there'll be some 50-year-old teenagers in that class, and that's cool too. <laughs> but kevin johnson talented talented rider he just puts his he throws a leg over a dirt bike he knows what to do so we bring him up there for a freestyle exhibition so we can anytime that we do a freestyle show we stop guys get up on top of the ramp share share jesus to whoever will listen and because they're so talented at riding everybody wants to listen wow what do these guys have to say our other rider that we invited to this event was scott murray if you follow any kind of freestyle motocross on TV, uh, Scott Murray's the one that wears the hockey gear. Because he comes from Michigan, and uh, hockey's a big deal up there. And he was just a poor boy growing up, didn't have any motocross gear, so he wore hockey gear. And now he's an X Games competitor. He does the double backflip and lands it about 50% of the time. And the other 50% of the time, he walks away. Uh, <laughs> but we invited him to come. And we did, we did this freestyle show. We shared Jesus with the crowd, uh, did a couple shows that weekend. After it was all said and done, we packed up, uh, put all of our equipment away, we're standing there just kind of drinking some water, sweat dripping off of us, and Scott and I are talking and he puts a tool into his toolbox, and he's like, oh, hey, I forgot all about this. And he pulls out a chunk of pavement out of his toolbox. I was like, what are you doing with a chunk of pavement in your toolbox? He said, I don't even know why I put it there. But I was at Walmart the other day, and I drove my truck into Walmart. And you have to understand, his truck is an F650, one of those big Ford trucks that has the semi uh, tires on it, but it looks like a pickup truck, but it's a you know monster pickup truck. So it weighs a lot. He said, I pulled into Walmart that just paved the parking lot. And I, I, I parked my truck. I went inside, did what I had to do. I came back out. I got in my truck, and I started driving away. And all of a sudden, I was going, womp. Womp, womp, And I was like, what in the world? So I got out and I looked and on the front tire There's this chunk of pavement (laughs) And so I peeled it out I dug it out with a screwdriver And I didn't know what to do with it So I threw it in my toolbox I was like, well can I have it? How much do you want for it? I'll pay you money for it How much do you want for that chunk of pavement, Scott? And he looked at it He's like, you can just have it But you gotta tell me Why do you want a chunk of pavement? I said, well, I think it would be a great object lesson, because this has kind of been on my heart for a while, that Revelation chapter 21 says that the streets of heaven are paved with gold. And his eyes lit up, he's like, yeah, man, it sounds really nice. I said, so we think that heaven is full of money, but in reality, the things that we value the most on this earth, just a chunk of pavement in heaven. And we spend so much of our time and our energy chasing a chunk of pavement. Because we think it's valuable. We think it's worth something. Jesus, in one of the, in his most famous sermon that he gave, the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking to a group of people there on the hillside. And in Matthew chapter 6, you can read this for yourself. It says, "...don't store up treasure for yourselves here on this earth where they could be eaten by moths and get rusty and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, store your treasures in heaven where they will never become moth-eaten or rusty and where they will be saved from thieves. Wherever your treasure is, there your hearts are also." I've read that so many times, I'm like, man, that's great, Jesus, that's a good word. But how? How do you store up treasure in heaven? I don't know that I have the answer for that today. But I will tell you a story. This story goes back about 2,750 years ago to a guy named Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet in the Old Testament times. He was a prophet that was sent out to the nation of Israel and uh, and he was one. He was basically a spokesperson for God. And he would go to the king of Israel and say, "Hey, this is what God's saying. He's saying you need to straighten up and fly right. He's saying that you need to turn to Him, turn your heart back to Him, and away from these foreign gods and away from these idols. We need to we need to worship the one and true Creator, the living God. And that was a lot of Isaiah's message. And he also had a lot of prophecies about a coming Messiah, one that would come to this earth and set everything right. And then in the middle of Isaiah, in the middle of his recordings of what God had told him to say, in Isaiah chapter 19, verse 21, it says, In that day the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians, for the Lord Almighty will say, Blessed be Egypt, my people. Now that's a weird thing to say in the middle of Isaiah. Because if you're familiar at all with the history of the nation of Israel, they were slaves at one time in Egypt. They went there when they were a family, basically the family of Jacob, the family of Israel, went to Egypt to be free from uh, from poverty and from famine. They go into Egypt, and then 400 years later, they're a nation of people, and God's promise to Abraham had come true—that you will be a nation upon nations, there will be sand upon the seashore, you can't count it. And so here they are, thousands upon thousands of them. They are a nation, and they're in slavery in Egypt, and God's God raises up a guy named Moses, and Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, "Hey, let my people go." Moses says, "No way." And so, ten plagues later, Pharaoh's finally like, "All right, get on out of here." And they go out. They go across the Red Sea. They go into the wilderness, and there, God gives them the word through through Moses, tells them, "Here's some things that you need to know. Here's some some rules to follow in order to govern yourselves." And one of the rules was never, ever go back to Egypt. Don't buy your horses from Egypt. Don't marry the Egyptian women, even though they're really pretty. Don't go back to Egypt. And then in the middle of Israel's Old Testament history, in the middle of the prophecies of one of their most well-known prophets, it says, in that day, it says, when the people cry to the Lord for help, he will send them a Savior who will rescue them, a messi- Messianic prophecy. In that day, the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. I read that a couple years ago when I was in Egypt, of all places. We had been contacted to do a freestyle show in Egypt, and uh, and the way that this went down was, if you're familiar at all with with Egypt, the nation of Egypt, you know it's a Muslim country, alright, it, it's not a Christian country, it's Muslim, but in Egypt, if you are not a Muslim, you are a Christian, and because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you know anything at all about Jesus Christ, it just means that you're not a Muslim, and if you're not a Muslim, then you're a Christian, and if you're a Christian, what do you do? Obviously, you get a tattoo of a cross, Right? <laughs> And that's what all Egyptians do. If they're not a Muslim, they get a tattoo of a cross right here on their wrist. But they don't necessarily know Jesus. And so what happened about five or six years ago was that there's a a true Christian church in Cairo. They truly know Jesus. And they were burdened and they were passionate about letting their countrymen know about Jesus. And so they pulled their money together and and their mission was, they went out into the middle of the desert, about halfway between Cairo and Alexandria, they went into the middle of the desert and they bought property. It was this old abandoned camp. Not even sure what the the purpose of the camp was, but it was out near the little village of El Wadi. And so they, they established the El Wadi Sports Outreach Camp. And they irrigated it, and they start, put some sprinklers out, and they grew some grass. Now, in Egypt, soccer is a big deal. And we just saw the World Cup, and you know a lot of people watch soccer on television. Soccer is a big deal in Egypt. One of the only places that you can go to in the whole country of Egypt to play soccer on a grass field is El Wadi sports camp. And so they started holding soccer camps out of this El Wadi, and they started building some barracks type of buildings, and they said, how, "We're reaching the kids for Jesus, and we're telling the kids through soccer about Jesus, much like what we do at Team Faith. We're using dirt bikes to reach people for Jesus. said, "Well, how can we really leverage this so we can let our countrymen know about there's a, there's a God who loves him and, there, and who sent his very own son to rescue them?" I said, "I know. We'll have an action sports outreach festival." And so what they did was they contacted people all across the world. They contacted a jiu-jitsu team out of Brazil, I think it was, that came in and did karate demonstrations. And they contacted uh, a basketball team, kind of like the Harlem Gold- Globe Trotters, except they were Christians out of America. And they contacted uh, a unicyclist. And they contacted uh, strong men who could bend steel bars in their teeth. And they had all these different exhibitions. And at every exhibition, the athletes would stop in the middle of their exhi- exhibition, and they would tell people about their faith in jesus christ well this went on for about a year or two and and the people got together and they said man this action sports outreach i think we're on the right track here but it could go bigger and it could go bolder and it could attract more people i know what we need to do we need to bring in freestyle motocross because here in egypt everybody loves dirt bikes but there's not a dirt bike to be found in the whole land the only time that people could ever see freestyle motocross is on youtube the internet's very, very big, all worldwide. And uh, so the, the Egyptians, they said, how are we going to get freestyle motocross into Egypt? And they contacted their sister church called Gateway Church down in Dallas, Texas. We had absolutely no association with Gateway. I think, if I remember the story right, I think that somebody at Gateway got on Google and said, Christian freestyle. Team Faith came up. Because that's what we do. Using dirt bikes to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so... Uh, and so a guy named Scott, he calls us up. Scott Wagner calls us up and says, Hey, would you guys ever be interested in doing a freestyle show down over in Egypt? <laughs> of course. That's what we, how would we do it? It would cost a lot of money. It would cost like $20,000 to get a bike over there and build some stuff. I mean, we'd love to do it, but that's a lot of money. Well, it's God's kingdom. Money was raised. We sent a bike over there. We, got, we contacted another one of our freestyle riders named Terry Russell. Terry Russell prepped his YZ250, which is a two-stroke motorcycle, and I won't get too technical, but a two-stroke is the one that sounds like a bumblebee, puts out a whole bunch of smoke. Prepped his motorcycle, put it in a crate, and part of prepping it to make sure not only is the oil changed and everything's greased up, it's ready to ride, but put new graphics on it, the, the team faith graphics, and I love Jesus, and all those kind of things, put it on there, put it in a crate, shipped it over to Egypt, ready to do this freestyle show. The team arrives in Egypt. Brian O'Rourke, the guy that started the ministry, he and his wife and Terry, they all arrive in Egypt. They go to pick up the dirt bike. And all of a sudden, there was a new law that crept up in Egypt. From the time that that bike had shipped and left the United States to the time it landed in Egypt, there was a new law created. Two-stroke motorcycles of 250cc size are not allowed in the country of Egypt. You think it had anything to do with the bill of lading that said El Wadi Action Sports Christian Outreach? Or the team faith graphics on there? There was obvious spiritual uh, attack. If God's doing something, Satan's opposed to it. There's no doubt about that. No matter what we did, no matter who we contacted, no matter who we bribed, could not get that dirt bike into the country. What are we going to do? God's providence found a Honda CRF 450, which is a four-stroke motorcycle over there. It was a 2004. It was the first year that Honda built that motorcycle. thing was clapped out. <laughs> and that's motocross jargon for it was a piece of dirt. <laughs> it was junk. Matter of fact, they had a wheel, an aluminum wheel that was cracked. Now, here in the United States, you take that aluminum wheel, and you go down to a certified welder, and you say, hey, can you weld this wheel up? Sure, no problem. You look around the shop. You see the certificates on the wall. No problem. In Egypt, you go to a back alley, you say, hey, you know anybody that has a welder? Oh, sure. He can weld anything. Yeah, right. You take that wheel and he welds it up. We put it on the bike. And Terry Russell jumped that dirt bike 30 feet up in the air. And freestyle motocross is born in Egypt. That went on for, I think, the next year Terry wasn't available, so Kevin Johnson went over there. And we managed to get a four-stroke motorcycle in there. No graphics on it. The bill of lading was somewhat subdued. And we got that dirt bike in there. And, uh, and and the second year of freestyle motocross in Egypt went down. And then the third year, we said, we really want to do a good job for these people. This, this sports camp is putting forth their best foot, and they're bringing people to Jesus Christ, and we get to be a part of it. Let's really, let's really put forth our best efforts as well. Let's take two riders. Let's take Kevin Johnson, and let's take Scott Murray. We're sending another bike over there, and I said, you know what? Every year that we go, I see that there's spiritual opposition. If we're going to have two dirt bikes in Egypt, you should probably take a professional mechanic. <laughs> and it's a good thing actually we we thought about it we prayed about it and said you know that's actually a pretty good suggestion we ought to take you along and as it turned out there was a lot of work to be done on two dirt bikes over in egypt sitting in the sun sitting in the desert air for a year seals were dried out and there were leaks and so i had a lot of work to do but my experience in egypt was in 2012 and when i went to egypt in 2012 I saw what the action sports camp was all about. How the strongmen were doing their demonstration, the skateboarders, the BMX crew, and everybody had their thing going on. And then, when it came came time for freestyle motocross, I would I would roll out of the hotel because we didn't have a garage there. We had a hotel lobby that I was using as a garage, and I would roll down the steps and I would bump start the bike and it would rev up, and people would just come running. And then we go out there to the field, to the soccer field, where we had the ramp set up and a big dirt landing, and uh, started jumping. And what had happened that year in 2012 was pretty spectacular. Because word had got out in Egypt that freestyle motocross, if you want to see freestyle motocross, it is El Wadi Action Sports Outreach Camp. And you've got to go. And so they were selling about 10,000 tickets, a day, bringing 10,000 Egyptians into the sp- sports camp every single day. And they had enough food and they had enough water. They had bathroom facilities to host 10,000 people a day. But counterfeiters had gotten hold of the tickets. And started counterfeiting the tickets. So on the first day, we had fourteen thousand people show up. <laughs> Four thousand people, of which the sports camp didn't get any money for. They didn't. They didn't have food for them. They didn't have water for them. But it was just like you know, just like Bible times, man. There was enough food for everybody. There was enough water for everybody. Said, so "Let them come in. If we got fourteen thousand people here that want to see action sports and want to hear about Jesus, we'll let fourteen thousand people in, and we'll let God deal with it." And God dealt with it. And when we started hitting the jumps, and Kevin Johnson and Scott Murray started hitting the jumps, man, it was huge. People were just going nuts. Thousands and thousands of people. And at nighttime, what would happen is, is they would shut down all the, all the demonstrations, and they would bring these, these 14,000 people to an arena. The arena in the United States, due to fire codes and other, you know, just we want to have enough room in between seats for people to be comfortable, we would say that this arena seated about 5,000 people. They packed 10,000 people into this arena. And then there were 2,000 people standing around the walls on the outside of the arena. And there were 2,000 people that were just out of luck. They were just lounged out on the grass, couldn't, couldn't get anywhere near the arena to hear what was going on. And in this arena, they started singing worship songs in Arabic. And I couldn't understand it, but the Holy Spirit was there. I mean, it was a heartfelt people raising their arms, singing to Yeshua, singing to Jesus, the Messiah. And then Pastor Sami got up there, and he started speaking in their native tongue, started telling them, started reading from Isaiah and telling them about the Messiah, about Yeshua. And I was able to listen through an interpreter, and for an hour, Pastor Sami goes on, and he tells them the plain truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at the end of this church service, he asked everybody to stand, and we sang a song, kind of, you know, an American tradition, at the end of a service, you sing a song, and, uh, and, and, and in the middle of the song, Pastor Sami gets up, gets up and he, he, he quiets the band and he says, alright, now I want to give you, you who are standing, I want to give you an opportunity. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, then today is your opportunity to do that. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior and you want to do that for the first time ever, stay standing. The rest of you can have a seat. Well, I'd accepted Jesus already. So I had a seat. And so did about a third of the stadium. <laughs> And 7,000 people were still standing. And so Pastor Sami, he's an Egyptian himself. He knows how to speak the language. And he said, I don't think you understood what I was saying. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then stay standing. Otherwise, have a seat. And nobody moved. He said, all right, let's try this a different way. Everybody have a seat. And he didn't have to say it twice. Everybody had a seat. He said, all right, if you want to make Jesus the Messiah, the Lord of your life today, and you've never done this before, then stand up. And 7,000 people stood up. And it was like that for four nights in a row. Freestyle motocross had come to Egypt and blew this thing out of the water, and thousands and thousands of people were coming to know Jesus. It was the most amazing thing that I've ever been in part of. In that day, the Lord will make Himself known to the Egyptians. You see... Little old me, Chuck Lee Master from Richburg, New York, got to be a part of that prophecy coming to life in front of my very eyes. It's so much bigger than just me, so much bigger than just one moment in history. Isaiah, 2,750 years ago, he foresees a time that God is going to call the Egyptians to himself. 20 years ago, a vision was given to a guy, Brian O'Rourke, a DJ in a strip club, dissatisfied with life he'd done it all he'd been to new york city he'd been a rock star he had the long hair been the lead singer in a hair band and uh, did the sex drugs and rock and roll came up empty moved back to knoxville tennessee dj in a strip club saying my life stinks i don't understand what the purpose of life is and somebody finally said to him have you ever tried jesus it's like man (laughs) <laughs> what would that do for me? But you know what? I've tried everything else. I'll try Jesus. Accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. The very next day, he gave us two-week notice at the strip club. Two months later, sitting on his couch watching ESPN 2 and seeing the pro jet ski race on ESPN that was very popular in 1994. And in that race there was a kid, a 16 year old kid who was constantly winning. And whenever the kid would get the microphone, he would give all the glory to himself. And he would say, man, what a good racer I am. I'm all about it. I'm the man. That kind of thing. And Brian just started praying to the God who he barely knew and said, what if somebody led him to the Lord and he used that platform to glorify your son and Instead of himself. And the Holy Spirit said go. And Brian's like. So if somebody led him to the Lord. (laughs) And the Holy Spirit said go. And so Brian loaded up his S10 pickup truck. And went down to Florida. Had no clue about jet ski racing. Other than what he'd seen on TV. Started praying with racers wherever he could. Started holding a little pit. Chapel service, if they would let him. Started getting to know people one-on-one. Bought himself a jet ski, learned how to ride it a little bit, started racing in the amateur class. Took him a year before he even got an introduction to that professional racer. Took him another year, and that racer came to know Jesus Christ and was baptized at Lake Havasu. Actually, Brian and that guy were baptized together. Such a baby Christian, Brian didn't even know he was supposed to be baptized and then do ministry. (laughs) Didn't matter, man. God's hand was on him. And Brian just went, sleeping in the back of his S10 pickup truck, doing odd jobs just to make ends meet and get enough you know, money together for a hamburger. Leads this kid to Jesus Christ. He says, awesome, my job is done. I can go home, I can get a job, I can make some money and make something of my life. And on his way out of the racetrack, one of the racers pulled him aside and said, hey, we'll see you next weekend, right? Brian's like, no, I'm going home. I'm getting a job. Guy's like, well, who, who's going to pray for us? Who's going to do the chapel service if you're not here? And Team Faith Racing was born. Fast forward to 2004, Team Faith Racing had expanded into dirt bikes and started racing arena cross and had a freestyle team and had started doing a little bit of supercross racing. We didn't have any really fast racers at the time, but the racers that we did had, have were sold out for Jesus Christ. And by this time, Brian had upgraded the S10 pickup truck, had a big bus with a big stacker trailer behind it. The bus left the St. Louis Supercross on a cold January night, driving through downtown St. Louis. had been a hard day. Racing hadn't gone our way. Actually, it actually had been a pretty miserable weekend. Saw a guy on the side of the road, and one of the riders said, Whoa, hey, stop the bus. Isn't that Kevin Johnson passed out drunk on the sidewalk? Stop the bus. Gets out, goes over, and wakes him up. Kevin, what are you doing on the sidewalk? And Kevin, in his drunken state, said, Oh, I got tossed out of the bar, and I'm just really tired. I think I'll take a nap. You can't take a nap, Kevin. It's 19 degrees out here. If you take a nap, you'll die. Get in the bus here. Kevin gets in the bus, sleeps it off the next morning. Hey, thanks for everything, guys. Takes off two months later. Finally hits his knees and surrenders. He says, all right, God, I'm over it. I'm tired of playing this thing myself. I'm tired of trying to make life happen for myself. Whatever it is that you want... I'm in. 2006, two years later, a a stubborn and rebellious man, full of himself, full of pride, full of alcoholism and struggle, finally gave up his life and said, God, I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. If you want me to preach, I'll preach. If you want me to work on dirt bikes over in Egypt, I'll work on dirt bikes over in Egypt. And these three guys, God brings together, sends them to a foreign country named Egypt, and then he says, you see that passage in Isaiah chapter 19? Here are my boys. go do and do what I created you to do. The Egyptians will turn to the Lord and he will listen to their pleas and heal them. And then he says, blessed be Egypt, my people. And that's become the verse that the Egyptian church has adopted. Blessed be Egypt, my people. God's doing an incredible work in the nation of of Egypt right now. And what we see on the news over here is that there's a lot of struggle and a lot of strife. The Muslim Brotherhood taking control. We see a lot of persecution of the church because anywhere that the gospel is advancing, Satan's going to be against. But God wants so much for you and me than what we want for ourselves. So often, we spend our time and our energies chasing this right here. A chunk of pavement. And meanwhile, God saying, man, I created you specifically on purpose and for a purpose. And I have something more in mind for you than you even have for yourself. And in my case, I got to see that prophecy over 2,700 years ago start to come true in front of my very eyes. Jesus, as he's talking about laying up treasure in heaven... I somehow think that I have an idea of what he was talking about. Because when we, when we give up on ourselves and we give it over to God and say, alright God, you do what you want to do in my life, all of a sudden it's not my responsibility to start laying up that treasure. It's something that God starts to do. Jesus in his talk... With, uh, with the people on the Sermon on the Mount, as he's talking about lay up treasure in heaven, the very next thing that he says, he talks about a good eye and a bad eye in verse 22. He's talking about your perspective. What do you see? Do you see pavement as glitz and glitter? Jesus then said, he says, you can't have both. You can't serve God and man. You can't serve God and serve money. You can't have it both ways and so often we spend our time chasing that pavement and we we have a half-hearted commitment to the God who created us and we put the sticker on our bumper and we put the magnet on our refrigerator but it has no impact on the way that we make our life decisions. And God's challenging us, just go all in. You don't know what could possibly happen when you go all in and and, and give your life to the very one who created you and knows why he created you. So my challenge for you today Just don't do what I did for 20-some years and settle for just a chunk of pavement. Because that's all going away. The stuff that's going on that God created you for is something that's going to last forever. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for giving me the opportunity to be here this morning. Just thanks for the people that are gathered. I pray that you encourage the hearts of every person that's here. I know that there are people that have their struggles and there are things in life that we don't understand. But I know that you are a God of it all. And I know that you persevere through it all. And I know that you have your plan and your purpose. And so I just pray for the people that are on the bubble wondering if you have a plan and a purpose for their life. I just pray that they'll go all in. And I pray for the people that are all in. Just continue to use them and draw us all closer to you, Lord. I love you, and it's my privilege to serve you. In the name of Jesus, amen.